0: So here's some exciting news. The on-being Saturday morning email newsletter is back. Curated by our wonderful colleague Kristen Lynn, The Pause is an offering towards the common life we hope to embolden and accompany. Our way of living the questions with you while also providing food for reflection and conversation. You'll receive updates on our latest conversations, writings and poetry from our blog, invitations to live events, and other news and musings. Subscribe now
1: at onbeing.org thepause the pause. Support for On Being with Krista Tippett comes from the Fetzer Institute, helping build the spiritual foundation for a loving world. Fetzer envisions a world that embraces love as a guiding principle and animating force for our lives a powerful love that helps us live in sacred relationship with ourselves, others, and the natural world. Learn more by visiting Fetzer.org.
0: I'm Krista Tippett, and this is On Being's Unheard Cuts. Up next, my unedited conversation with Maria Shriver. There is a shorter, produced version of this conversation at Apple Podcasts or wherever you like to listen. Maria, yeah, hi hi, hi. guys, (laughs) (laughs) okay, I can already tell what kind of morning you've had, oh my
1: god, (laughs) yeah, there you go. They they don't make coffee strong enough.
0: Okay, I'm going to try to get you into a contemplative space here. (laughs) Okay, okay, all right.
1: (sighs) How are you? How are you? I'm pretty
0: good. I'm a little overworked. How about you?
1: Yeah, Yeah, feeling the same. (laughs) I'm feeling like, oh, my God, my dress isn't even zipped up. I'm just like, oh, my God. Luckily, this is radio. One of the many advantages of radio. That is so yes because there's no under eye makeup there's no nothing on today yeah. I just took my wet hair uh, out of the clip so there you go uh,
0: well <laughs> you know when I do when I do video stuff I find it I I actually find it so annoying because I have to you know yeah. think about how I look and am I sitting up straight and um, and yeah I mean I'm like always sitting here in my in my little studio, with my eyes closed, with my shoes
1: off, and it's great. That's so nice. Yeah. Jeez. And this yeah. is a nice studio here where I just came. Oh, where? So where really, are? I don't know
0: where you are. It's um. Oh, at it Yeah. Uh, no, L.A. It's some. Is it? Yeah, we're in. Oh, okay. Cool. Good. Yeah. Well, I'm so happy to talk okay. to you.
1: Yeah, I'm so happy to <laughs> talk to you. How was your thing at 1440? By the way,
0: it was really amazing. Um, it was. Yeah. It really was extraordinary and you know the um we'd never done anything like, like that before and it was it felt right. kind of experimental the about the f- week to 10 days before i was just paralyzed with the certainty that i couldn't you know that i couldn't rise to the occasion and Aww. you know you know how that is before and yeah, and, and i yeah. and i was so excited about it and then i got there and it was just the the intentionality and the spirit that everybody brought with them, the hospitality that everybody brought, was so yeah. wonderful. And then we had it. Just I don't know. It just was the we had. I did conversations on stage with people who'd been on the show before, and paired somebody who'd been on the show before with somebody else who'd been on the show. So it was
1: oh, um, fun. Yeah, yeah, fun, and that yeah. was fun.
0: And uh, and then a lot of things happened kind of around the edges that we couldn't have planned to be so wonderful so yeah I'm I'm happy
1: it's nice that you knew about it yeah I went up there um, uh, right before it opened or the opening weekend of it and um, did a story on the couple you know Mm. um, and I was uh, they had spoken to me about that and they were using you as an example of uh, someone who was doing that so I just curious about. yeah
0: it It was good it was the first time that um, we were the first group that yeah filled the space you know they wow that's fantastic because sometimes they have um, yeah we had to turn three thousand yeah. people away that was <gasps> yeah that was the really so we it was a lot of learning and we're still we're still yeah. we're sorting through it okay so Chris says thumbs up um, okay I uh, really I just really been looking forward to this um, and so you know we will absolutely plug your book and um, but I don't want this to be a book interview. Okay. I, I really want to talk to you. and but I, as I say, the book is going to be all the way through this. So a takeaway from this for people will be the book. But I just want to talk to you about like the fullness of what you care about and the life you've lived and the perspective and wisdom you bring to this moment we inhabit. And okay. so, I have a bunch of questions. You don't have to okay. you don't yeah. have to, you know start answering that that way. Yeah, but, no but problem. that's that's I wanted to I just want us to have a big, big, deep conversation. Okay, Um, okay, so, all right, let's do it. Um, Yeah, and and just, you know, to say a little bit more about that, like how things you've been grappling with, you know, things your mother especially taught you and charged you to grapple with, you know, like raising up women, like how that is evolving in this moment, like the kind of big perspective um, that you have on some of that. So, um, and if there's, and and, as we were saying, this is, it's, um, we will edit Kaped. and if it yeah. if and yes you can go to the bathroom um, okay. but if but also if there's anything you want to come back to it doesn't have to be completely yeah. linear okay. and if there's something you don't want to talk about you can just say i don't want to talk about that so okay okay and um so so I, you know i want to start where i always start which is um and, and you know with your uh with the religious or spiritual background of your childhood, I feel like that the the general contour of that is is pretty known but but how would you how would you at this moment in your life i think i think what I like about this question is that on any particular day in our life we would we might answer this slightly differently how would you start to describe the religious and spiritual background of your childhood
1: well i um both of my parents uh obviously deeply religious, deeply Catholic, deeply um, focused on social justice. Uh, Both of them went to church every single day. Um, My house was filled with uh, pictures of Mary, Mm. who was uh, my mother's hero, heroine. Was the person my mother referred to most often, other than her own mother and brother, was Mm. Mary. Mm. Uh, So it was really all through um, our home. Uh, We all, my brothers and I, knew that my parents went to Mass every day. We went to Catholic school. Uh, I was educated by the nuns, and then I went on to the Jesuits at Georgetown. Um, You know, Lent was a big. Time in our home, mm-hmm. my brothers were altar boys. Uh, my father made us go to six forty-five mass every day. We had <laughs> makeshift altars, and yeah. we had to say the rosary. So it was all the way um, through. And so, and my parents held up priests and nuns as the kind of uh, heroes among us. They would invite them over to the table. So that was kind of I like to paint the picture of how I. You know what was the atmosphere and the feeling in my home growing up? So, um, you know, as I said, I went to Catholic girls' school. Um, I I was also, I think, raised in a church that felt to me very judgmental, mm-hmm. uh, felt to me uh, very anti-women. So my brothers were all altar boys. I was the only one, um, not an altar boy. So yeah, I there were felt four already, boys. You were
0: five kids, one one yes. girl.
1: Yeah. One girl. Yeah. and so I felt separate in my um experience of my church. I went, to, as I said, to an all-girl school, and there were the nuns. and yeah. my brothers went to schools where the priests were, and the priests definitely had the kind of upper hand as far as I was looking at it. And yet, I was raised by a woman who, you know, said <sighs> Mary was the more important, and Mary was everything, and she was a formidable figure herself. So I think that, you know, religion kind of, uh, was everywhere around me. I think in college, I kind of uh, rebelled against it. I felt like, you know, I wasn't going to mass every Sunday. Um, And I I remember distinctly, actually, even in high school, the first time I missed mass on Sunday, I thought I was going straight to hell. I thought, you know, God was going to see me and, you know, I was shamed. So I also, I think, had a feeling of the church as a place that shamed you and judged you and, um you know, there were sinners and not sinners. It was very black and white. And I think when I had children, I also kind of found my way back to the church because I wanted uh, them to have First Communion. I wanted them to grow up in the church. I wanted them to have something that they could lean on, because I also saw my mother and my grandmother in particular lean on their faith when yeah. uh, stuff hit the fan. Right. Yeah. So and and then I have come back to my faith in a deep way. Um Uh, as an adult, and have found it to be very uh, nurturing for me. It's given me a home. It's given me a community here in Los Angeles, which can be a tough town. And um, I uh, find myself leaning on God, whatever my vision of God is, and my faith. Hmm. Would
0: you, if I had just asked you what was the spiritual background of your childhood, is there any way in which you would distinguish you know, in all of that Good vastness, yeah. right? That vastness yeah. of of Catholic yeah. piety. Yeah. Uh, what was the What was the spiritual piece of it that imprinted
1: you? I didn't grow up kind of like a spiritual. You know, it was just like you're an Irish Catholic. Mm-hmm. Democrat. That's who you are. And so the Catholic. Uh, and that was you know, a piece of was,
0: doctrine, right?
1: That was a doctrine. That <laughs> yeah. was you're an Irish Catholic yeah. Democrat and you're a you know Catholic girl. Mm-hmm. And there are certain th- understood things that came with that, right, with mm-hmm. that identity. And uh, so I didn't grow up thinking I was a spiritual person. I grew up thinking I was a Catholic. Yeah. And um And I looked at Catholicism, as I said, like I've described, but also in terms of its political identity. And um, so I didn't come to quote my spiritual uh, sense of self until much later. Yeah,
0: and we'll we'll talk about that some more. Um, So you know, um, not that long ago, I was interviewed by Ezra Klein for his podcast, Mm -hmm. which is a you know he's a a political figure, yeah, creature, also actually a person with a religious and spiritual life. He. When he started the interview with me, he said, I want to do a variation on your first question. And so instead of asking me about the religious background of my childhood, he asked me about the, he said, what was the political background of your childhood? And that was such an interesting question. And so I was born in 1960, right? You were born in 1955? Correct. I was born on the night your uncle, John F. Kennedy, was elected president. And Mm -hmm. my father was an Oklahoma Democrat who told me that I was John Kennedy's good luck charm. Uh, <laughs> so I mean, so this was like, uh, and and then wow. and then and then when he died, I this was my first memory, and I thought I had failed him, right? You know, for, as this little four, wow. three-year-old, right? So so I was thinking about that question and where it took me. Being a person coming of age in the nineteen sixties the politics was so dramatic. But you know, what I had to say to Ezra, like where my mind goes first is all those assassinations of noble, wonderful people. And then I'm thinking about interviewing you. And I notice how, you know, people talk about, you know, of course, this glamorous like being a Kennedy, right? And there's there's this photo of you out there. Do you know this one with you? And John on a boat and Carolyn Kennedy is there too. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. 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 But it's glamorous and heartbreaking at once. And when I look at how people talk to you about this, I never hear anyone say to you, wow, that must have been, you know, beyond hard to be. uh, Those were your uncles who died. Yeah. Yeah.
1: And uh, Thank you. (laughs) I think, um, you know, in my book and I think really in my life, kind of uh, trying to stake one's ground that you are a human being has really been um, a lifelong struggle in a way uh, for me because I think it's, uh, you know, I've always been looked at as a part of a larger group without a name, but with just kind of like hair and teeth and, uh, you know, uh, people fascinated with that picture, those events and stuff like that, but never really with like, wow, what was that like yeah. uh, for you as a person? So I think um, I've had to do a lot of work uh, uh, on myself with myself to, um, you know, uh, find some peace with that, to uh, heal myself with that, to talk to myself about that and. Mm-hmm. Um, to um, work on my own identity separate from the larger, and so when you're trying to find your own way, you you want to kind of, you know, uh, respect the larger, but fight for your own ground yeah. in it. And uh, so that's a really complex, complicated uh, subject and space, and um, one I think that I'm finally at this age able to uh not get mad when someone asked me about it or not uh you know push up against it and just when they say, just would you know, say like what's it like to be to be a Kennedy. Well, yeah yeah and they don't you know they didn't even most of them even know my name or they just were like, <clears throat> you know, interested in uh you know I guess, you know, and I tried to look at it in their own uh story with it like your story with it you're born on that day you yeah, felt that like a other, good, that other like, that I felt charm. like I had some piece of your yeah, family and too. that you yeah. Yeah. yeah and so <clears throat> uh, you know so I think I I now can listen to that and um, you know marvel at it and be grateful for it and then also recognize that my experience uh, is vastly yeah. A thousand percent different from yeah. everybody else's. Yeah. And I can hold that for myself. I don't need to share it. I don't need to talk about it. But I can know that it's different when you're in something yeah. as opposed to looking at something from the outside.
0: Yeah. I mean, um, and we're now in this, um, what is it? Is it the 50th? Fiftieth year of, yes, the, of yes. the assassination of Robert. Well
1: that's the fiftieth year of Uncle Bobby's assassination. Yes, this right and, now. Uh, yeah. And I look at it as the fiftieth year of the celebration of Special Special Olympics. So really? I think it's you can yeah. look at um yeah. you know, I just got an invitation. They're doing a mass at Arlington for Uncle Bobby and mm-hmm. I stared at the invitation for Uh, really the last kind of 10 days debating myself, do I want to go to that? Because so much of my childhood was going to Arlington, Mm -hmm. uh, marking deaths, right? And I thought to myself, I I really don't want to go back and have that experience again, because it's so raw, and it's so present, right? It's so much about um, how I grew up and so much about making a trek to Arlington and what were you you know what was my mother thinking at Arlington what was everybody feeling at Arlington? oh my God we're going to Arlington again yeah uh, and then I thought well you know what I can actually go to Arlington because I can choose to decide that it's a celebration not a marker of a death but you know a celebration of my family a celebration of um, you know, Everybody that's still here, and so I want to turn the story around on that day, and I want to go feeling like um, it's not about the past, but it's about a moment honoring somebody who stood for something, and um, I can do that without being consumed by it. Mm,
0: okay. Thank Thank you for that. Um, so, so you for you, this year two thousand eighteen is uh, you are celebrating this as the I did not realize that the the Special Olympics began in... 1968.
1: Yes. It was the first kind of uh, international games was in Chicago in the summer, mm-hmm. uh, July, right after my uncle Bobby was assassinated and my mother went there uh, to Wrigley Field. And uh, there's a very famous quote from Mayor Daly saying after he saw the first Special Olympics, he turned to my mother and said, the world will never be the same again. Mm-hmm. And, of course, it really hasn't. And so for me, uh, I'm going back to Chicago in July to celebrate the 50th anniversary. A new book just came out about my mother. Uh, three weeks ago by Eileen McNamara, who's a Pulitzer Prize winning author. And it's called Eunice the Kennedy Who Changed the World. And um, so I'm kind of celebrating this year. I'm celebrating um, the arrival of that book, which places her in her rightful place in history. Mm -hmm. I'm celebrating her um, courage that she didn't cancel the Special Olympics because her brother was killed um, six weeks before, something I probably have... That happened to my brother. I probably cancel. Yeah, um, yeah. But I have her now as a you know marker, so I probably wouldn't. But I'd want to. <clears throat> and I'm celebrating her work, her life, her um, stamina, her restless determination. And I'm also conscious that for my cousins, it's a different kind of anniversary. But um, that's for them to uh, celebrate, mourn, mm-hmm. grapple with. Right. But uh, I'm choosing to look at this year. As, um, you know, an, a marker from my mother's work and also a um, really for me, it's been incredible because I've been out on a book tour yeah. and, um, you know, to meet people and to see the response to my own thoughts and my own work and my own uh, evolution has been really uh, very moving for me, and it's not something I could have done a year ago or two years ago. So for me, 2018, um, I'm choosing to look at it as a celebration uh, of my mother's work and kind of an arrival into myself of myself. Yeah, and your book is called
0: I've Been Thinking. <laughs> um <laughs> yes, and right. I have. It's right. Yeah, yeah. right. You have, yeah. and it's I. It's the I. You are raising up your eye. So yeah. I'm really. I. So I really. I like wanted, that. Yeah. I'm
1: raising up my eye yeah. because that yeah. has been. Yeah. At one point, I thought about calling that book. You know, I am Maria, mm. and um, because that's really been. A refrain for me throughout my whole life. You know, people always coming up to me, going, "Which Kennedy are you? Which Kennedy are you?" And I, and I would always respond like, "I'm Maria." Yeah. They'd be like, "But which one are you?" I was like, mm. "Well, I'm Maria." And they're like, mm. "Well, is your father this? Is your father that?" And I'd say, "No, my mother is." And they'd be like, oh, uh, okay. Well, where is you know Caroline or where is Bobby's kids or where?" And I'd be like, "Oh." So I grew up with this like, "I am Maria," wasn't sufficient. I Am Maria wasn't enough. Hmm. And so proclaiming I Am Maria uh, has been kind of... And I think it's really the work, everybody's work, right? Yeah. I Am Krista. It's c- claiming your own self. And strangely, is, that is
0: the work of a lifetime.
1: It is the work of a lifetime because yeah. it ebbs and flows. You grab it and yeah. you lose it. You yeah. have it and it's gone. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, so, and you know, what I'm thinking when you're saying that, I Am Maria, I Am Maria, I'm thinking of that. Um, I was looking back at when you... Um, had your mother on stage at the women's conference, um, mm-hmm. the California Women's Conference, when yeah. you were first lady, which I attended one year, and it was just extraordinary. And so ever since then, I've been thinking about interviewing you. So I'm really glad we're here now. But <laughs> but I watched the videos, not just the video of um, her receiving the award. Well, yeah, actually, the video. Uh, there, there was also the incredible video just of her like of the sweep of yeah. her life and then i'm also remembering when she got up there and she kept saying like she said the way she said your name she's like follow maria right maria <laughs> uh, right do you know what i'm talking about yeah she I did know. and it was yeah. like and it was almost like I, I i can't imagine that she meant it the way you're that you way you're meaning it but it had that same effect right
1: uh, I don't know what, <clears throat> what effect it had, but I I um, remember feeling a little bit embarrassed uh-huh. uh, that she was going follow Maria. I'm like, what are you going to follow me to? I'm like, yeah. oh my god, what are you doing? You know? <laughs> but well, but somebody wrote about of her
0: her devotion to Maria was legendary and moving. Yeah, and I think it was I. I so so let's talk a little bit about um, her and that that her imprint on the world and on and and how she shaped you. You know, it's interesting when you look now. When you, I did not know about this new book, but when you, when you read people writing about her now, they say she could have been president. Right? That we think mm-hmm. of all the the Kennedy brothers as the would be as the presidents and the and the presidential material, and right. uh, and in some ways, I think that's you know, I get tired of just if a woman. Sounds impressive. Everybody's saying, oh, she could be president,
1: right? I know. There's something weird about that. (laughs) Yeah, I think that that kind of demeans in a way what she, not in a way, it demeans what she did do. Uh Oh, she could have been this. And so therefore, she she didn't do what she was meant to do. And I think I like to shift the conversation not to what she could have been, but Mm -hmm. what she actually was. Yeah, And uh, that's why I think the book that's just come out about her is so important because it places her... Firmly in her own legacy, and it places that legacy right alongside her brothers. So, um, I'm also learned from her that you can create formidable change and not through elective office. And very often, elective office yes, yes. is the last to make the change, they follow uh, the change of other people. But we have this perception in our heads that, like, unless you're running for office, you're basically like. Not happening, yeah. and I grew up with yeah. that message I might add. I grew up with the message that unless you were running, really, what were you doing? And uh, my mother uh, certainly loved people who ran for office. She admired people who ran for office. She liked um people who were in office. Mm-hmm. And um I think she gave them a certain reverence that she didn't give herself. Mm. and um, you know, I, I think that was... Uh, I was always kind of perplexed by that right up into the end of you her were, life.
0: You were aware yeah, of I was. that all
1: the way through. That's, I was aware because yeah. I had a conversation also with her very late in her life, and mm-hmm. I was sitting around... Uh, In the backyard, and she had the Camp Shriver, which she started up again, you know, in her 80s. Mm. And she was having, I said, Wow, mommy, you know, it's incredible. You know, you have all your children here, your grandchildren, they're all working at Camp Shriver. Uh, It's really extraordinary what you've accomplished. And she's like, Nah, didn't have any power. And I was like, What? Mm. And she, I said, You know, you, you, you know, you were married 50 years, you have five kids who like each other, you create, change Mm. the world. She goes, But I never ran for elective office. (sighs) And I was like, wow, mommy, you know, that's that's so small in the, in the scheme of things. And I think she had left over, as we all do from our childhood or from our young um, times in our life, the feeling that elective office was the only game in town. And um, I think, you know, she had a father and a mother that, you know, reiterated that and that emphasized that. And so I think she always felt a little bit... Um, uh, she wouldn't maybe say this but i can say it cuz she's not here less than her brothers you mm-hmm. know and um i think was treated that way in her family and and fought for her own i am mhm um
0: it you know you said as many of us do and well and in in, in, the, in our childhood which but i think it was really very much in a mid 20th century childhood right that elective i mean you could almost say in in a childhood of our Of our nation, because I think at this 50 year mark after the 60s, so many things are opening up and appearing different than they did then, right? I mean,
1: yeah, but I think you have to really, you know, stop yourself and Mm -hmm. kind of look at, oh, wow, things are different. Maybe Mm -hmm. I can think differently. Mm -hmm. Maybe I can view something differently. If you're just running through life, it's really hard, I think, to change the message. To yourself, or change the message that you may have grown up with or that you um, came of age with, and um, I find that even as I travel around the country, so many people have a message um, in their life that they're not enough or that yeah. you know whatever they're doing isn't what they should be doing or isn't big enough
0: yeah and <laughs> I mean, this is you know kind of the point you're making. I and mean, if Eunice Shriver could feel that way, then uh, then it then it it's it can't be surprising that other people then any of us can feel that way.
1: And I think that's actually a unifier that's been helpful mm-hmm. to me because mm-hmm. I think like, wow, if I felt that, then every woman or man I meet probably feels it in their own way. So I have empathy uh, for them, and it it it, it opens up. I think really kind of fascinating conversations for where people came from, how their beliefs were formed, uh, what they're grappling with. And I think really everybody, I really like what you said in the beginning, you know, you're you're I am, you're lifting up your I. You know, I think everybody's trying to do that. Unfortunately, I think people are doing it with selfies or on social media. Mm -hmm. But I think what's underneath of that is everybody really trying to figure out why they're here. Wanting someone to notice that they're here, um, wanting to lift up their I am, I'm here. Uh, yeah. Do you see me? I think that's what children do uh, to their parents. Look at me. Look at me. Yeah. Uh, do you see me? Uh, do you notice me? Do you love me? And I think in in many ways, that's what we're kind of in some ways all doing. And I'm so uh, in awe of the people that kind of feel firmly grounded and calm in their I am and aren't, you know, struggling to go like, look at me, here I am, mm. you know, um, do you see me? And um, I think the people that have a different energy, I find those people so awe-inspiring when I go and sit with like a Father Keating, Thomas Keating, yeah and he's just completely removed from that. I'm like, yeah. wow, <laughs> you know, that's so... Uh, <laughs> yeah,
0: although the world needs your kind of energy too. You yeah, do, but it, I just yeah. am fascinated yeah. with
1: like if I go and sit with yeah. you know I quote Joan Chittister quite a yeah. bit or I, ch- yeah. I I sit with people who seem very comfortable mm-hmm. in their place, mm-hmm. and I I get a huge amount of uh, energy myself from that. You know, I I do want to just just
0: touch a little bit more on on the Special Olympics um, because one thing I. I really understood because your mother actually, and this is not just your mother; it's it's your whole family, right? Was engaged yeah. in this, and your is, brothers is engaged and is, <laughs> are right, and is, to this yeah. day in to leadership day. positions in 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 this kind of, uh, um, and and you know and and yeah, I was at I spoke at the L'Arche, um fiftieth yes. anniversary a few years ago, oh. and, and your brother Tim Timothy. spoke because he's he's a leader in this field, and so yeah, so this just this was also your family, your family business as much yeah. as politics um, and the the first uh, when I was just getting ready to when I was preparing to interview you it's was the first time <laughs> I understood of course there's much more publicly known these days about your mother's sister Rosemary and mm-hmm. and how her mental disability was just was not something that the family knew how to deal with and it was a, a okay. kind of tragic that she was kind of hidden away and, and your mother Really, like, sh- shone a light to what you were saying a minute ago on the existence and the dignity and the beauty of people who had been hidden away. Right. Um, and but what something I didn't know because um, your your mother's family, the, the Kennedy family, is kind of legendarily sports loving, right? And that that this is the first time I read that that Rosemary was actually fabulous in sports in that family, mm-hmm. and. And yet, culturally, there was this idea that people with mental retardation, which is which is the language that was used then, yes. or intellectual disabilities, <coughs> couldn't play sports, couldn't play. Right. And so, your mother. So this was I don't know. This was a beautiful thing for me to understand. And she just decided to put this out there and reject it and create this experience, which also became something that gave visibility uh, to this whole this whole swathe of our fellow humans.
1: Yeah, I think my mother um, was a competitor Mm -hmm. at her core. She was uh, an athlete and a competitor, and she liked winners. And uh, so I think it's kind of fitting that she took a sports movement, um, and she wanted to prove not only that people with intellectual disabilities could uh, compete, but she wanted, I think, the world at large to see them as winners, to see them as competitors, yeah. to um, to see them as people who could beat you in a race, who could, you know, uh, shoot an archery bow better than you. Uh, <laughs> and she wanted you then, if that were true, yeah. and if you saw that, wow, what else is true? What else, what other misconceptions do I have? What other things do I have to shelve? And so I think she had a very big, um, you know, she, she loved sports, she loved to compete, she wanted everybody in Special Olympics to love sports, to love to compete, and to make a difference. And she wanted to uh, change people's perceptions um, about what they came into the game with. She wanted them to leave thinking differently. And so she was before Steve Jobs, you know, think different. She was before, you know, I want to challenge you. I want to push you. I want to make you uncomfortable. And then once I do, I want to grab you for life. And I want you to make sure that you also join in and help me with my mission and my vision. Mm. And, you know, I want you to change how you think.
0: Yeah. So, and, you know, again, if I think about, which I am thinking a lot about, like just this 50-year period between the 1960s and our decade and so many things um, you know the disability rights movement which you could locate you know you could locate honestly I think beginning with those special olympics 50 years ago yeah right and which now has come to a whole new place Um, and that's one we actually don't probably think about and celebrate as much as we might
1: yeah. And I think that's why, once again, coming back to this biography, which mm-hmm. Eileen McNamara spent seven or eight years uh, researching. And, um, <clears throat> you know, it really places mummy's political genius uh, front and center. Yes. How she worked on policy, how she worked on behalf of her brother when he was president and her brothers when they were senators. And she also understood that she'd have to do the -the behind-the-scenes work and give them the credit for it to be taken seriously. So Mm. she was a really savvy political strategist. She worked the Hill uh, better than any political leader. She worked both sides of the aisle. Uh, better than anybody. And yet she stepped back and gave it to her brothers because she wanted to get it done. Right, and she knew right, that right. that's what was needed. And yeah. so that's why I'm so grateful for this book because it places her not just at the front of Special Olympics, but also at the front of policy, right. at the front of politics. And so she was way more effective than, you know, uh, sh- sh- she worked the political machine. Uh, yeah. As good as a Tip O'Neill, as good as a Lyndon Johnson, as good right. as a, you know, she would have put all these kind of people you hear about today to shame because she worked both sides of the aisle and she also never leaked, never took credit and yeah. uh, got it done. <laughs> yeah, as you said,
0: politics as something so much bigger than hold, the holding elective office.
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, she changed laws and yeah. that's what she, yeah. you know, wanted uh politics for, mm-hmm. and um, it had, you know, by giving it to her brothers and working with them, she gave them the power. She knew they had the power, but she had the brains and the strategy and the policy.
0: So I'm really curious, you know, this moment we inhabit now, um, uh, you know, in this in the sphere of gender, as in the sphere of race, we're understanding... Um, We're understanding, you know, we see how much change happened in the 60s, and we're also really getting this clear sense of what was unfinished that we didn't see for a long time. Mm -hmm. Um, And I wonder, you know, with this, I feel this ongoing conversation you have with your mother to this day, um, (laughs) right? And also the life you've led. I'm just really curious about how you're experiencing this moment of kind of waking up to things we actually thought we woke up to a few decades ago. Um,
1: yeah. Well, I um, I think it's you know um, it's a tumultuous time in its own way, right? Mm, yeah. And um, I think you know I was never under the illusion that we had finished race uh, in this country. Yeah, I was never under the illusion that we had finished the women's movement in this country. I mean. The Shriver reports that I've done about you know women going into the workplace and how um, uninviting the workplace or unflexible the workplace or um, you know uninvolved unevolved the workplace has been. I've done reports on that. I've done uh, reports on you know women in health, women in poverty, women living paycheck to paycheck. Uh, all of these things tell us that you know the women's movement isn't done or hasn't been done. So I have to say that, um, you know, kind of thinking that the women's movement was done was never something that I thought. I wasn't, I thought it would be more political, you know, kind of the women's movement might land if you had a woman president, then we would feel like, wow, we had broken the glass ceiling. And so um, I didn't, you know, anticipate that it would become the Me Too movement, so to speak. Yeah. Uh, but I had, um, you know, I think there is, you know, so much about women's lives that is still not discussed, not seen, not understood. Um, and so I welcome this Movement. I hope this conversation continues. I hope it evolves. I hope uh, we can include other aspects of women's lives into it. I think the race discussion also is really important. Yeah. Um, how it is evolving. I I talk to my children a lot about it, um, where it came from, uh, the difference between um, how I grew up with it, how they're experiencing it, the reality. I thought the Colin Kaepernick. I was listening to his speech um, the other day about, you know, how his, his resistance is rooted in love. Mm. Um, I thought that that was really interesting. Um, and how listening to a man talk about love, Mm. um, in terms of a resistance movement, I thought, you know, that, that got my attention. So I think Mm. these conversations, uh, Um, are super important. I think sometimes people bow out of them really quickly because they feel rageful or they feel angry and people can't hear each other. So um, I'm, I'm always thinking about how can we hear each other? How can these conversations land in a way that help us move forward together as opposed to divide us or shut us down?
0: Yeah. I wonder how you might describe... What it means to you now to be a feminist and also how that may have evolved for you in ways your mother might not have understood or might not have foreseen. Well, I don't
1: think my mother, um, she didn't talk about herself as a feminist mm-hmm. to me. She just was. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, she, yeah. She was like uh, she wore men's clothes. She smoked cigars. All her friends were men. She did things that people traditionally looked at as, quote, male Um, And yet she also, and and she pushed me, she pushed me to compete in a man's world, to be tougher than my brothers, tougher than any man, and yet she also simultaneously said to me, becoming a mother will be the greatest thing that ever happens to you, never lose sight of being a mother, never lose sight of uh, the importance of family, the importance of being a mother. So I got both of those messages. It wasn't clear to me how to combine those things. I definitely got both of those messages, so I didn't find myself having to run around um, and say, "Oh, I'm a feminist." I just knew that I was empowered uh, by her. Mm-hmm. Um, that I was uh, that I had to be tough because I had four brothers and I had a really tough mother. So I went into a tough business um, that was yeah, when TV. I went into it yeah. totally yeah, male TV dominated and so it felt like an extension of my home so um i just i didn't find myself proclaiming oh i'm a feminist i just was like I'm, a, I'm an empowered woman, and mm-hmm. I assume I'm going to work, and I assume I can wear whatever clothes I want and say what I want and move into this space. And if someone is rude to me or, you know, uh, it's an emotionally abusive newsroom, I'll just deal with it because I know how to do that. And yeah. so I didn't yeah, – right. you know, I just was like yeah. I know how to manage uh, these men, this environment, and uh, move up or – stay in it. And and she also, my mother was like, I'm not into your complaining at all. I don't want to, she had this (laughs) saying, she's like, uh, she would say to me uh, all the time, I don't want to hear one yip out of you. (laughs) And I'd be like, oh, okay. You know, so she raised me and I think raised me like, I don't want to hear one complaint from you about anything. And so um, not that that's good, but it was understood. And so she had no time to hear if I complained. I remember about my first boss in the newsroom, how mean he was. He made me cry. He was abusive. And she's like, I don't care. Right. Just deal with it. Right. And so I didn't. um, So what do you think she would think of Me Too? I think uh, that's a good question. I I, I don't. um, I think she would think it's, you know, anything that women were doing she was always applauding mm-hmm. i think she would maybe sometimes talk about she might be surprised um at um some of the voices she might be surprised at the level of anger by it mm-hmm. she would be you know more like i think she probably would say like well just fix it you know mm-hmm. she'd be like that just like you know fix it do that you know i don't know um I don't know that she would have been really interested in sitting down and talking yeah. to mm-hmm. a lot of the women. She'd be like, "Okay, that's it. Now move along." Yeah, and um, that's kind of the way she was. She wasn't a talky feely person. She wasn't. She'd be like, "If you don't like it, fix it, change the law." You yeah. know, do so. She would admire, I think, women who um, want to change the workplace, want to get policy changed, want to. Um, she would admire that. Okay. Um,
0: I mean, obviously you you're different, right? You you. I yeah. mean, I also watched this uh, conversation you had with your daughter, which was really lovely, where she interviewed you. Um, yeah, <laughs> you talked a little bit about about that, about you know how you had diverged. I mean, your mother didn't yeah. cook or knit or talk or or t- ever talk to you about sex or relationships. I I yeah. I, I thought this was amusing but i think it were if it were happening it would be very hard to have happening. that she would when people would tell you how beautiful you were she'd say yeah. your looks will go pay attention yeah. to your
1: brain <laughs> right and that was like 15 yeah. 16 at the time yeah
0: <laughs> um, um yeah. because cuz i i feel you being so articulate on behalf of so many women again who were born into that mid and late 20th century Getting this message, you know, coming right out of the 60s, because there was a feeling in like 60s, 70s, 80s that we had pretty much cracked all this, right? Like, I mean, but but the experience we were having, being told we could have it all, it wasn't true, you know? No. I remember at some point feeling like I still don't think it's true. It's not true. And I remember (laughs) feeling like I have been lied to. Um, And so then we, but then we just had to cobble it together. And still, yeah. women are cobbling it together. And you, yeah. you've been really—I um, I feel like it f- seems to me to feel almost like a mission to you to say that out loud.
1: <laughs> yeah, I do, because I think it is a lie, and I think it—it mm-hmm. it ends up making women uh, of all economic groups, of all colors, feel like that they're uh, that they're somehow the only one that's not you know, doing it all, that's not achieving. And I find it, you know, and I think very often the images that women get of these other women who seem to, you know, like they're running for vice president all their kids are perfect and everything's great or they're Mm -hmm. running for this and, you know, they their husband adores them. They're having sex all the time. They don't struggle with their weight. Their children are all, you know, 4.0s. And that's just not true. It's just not true. And so I think it's, um, you know, I think the illusion of balance, having it all, I think that's all you know, uh, a sales job. I think, you know, my mother said to me, look at, you know, life is a marathon and you can, quote, have it all, whatever that is to you, over a lifetime. Mm -hmm. You know, but Mm your 20s are different than your 30s, different than your 40s. And I remember when um, I had, you know, our first kid and I... Was anchoring the Sunday Today Show. I was anchoring the the nightly news on Saturday, and I had been fired. Uh, it was about two or three years before from the CBS Morning News. The whole show had been canceled, and I was really trying to work my way back up. Um, In network news. And so never an easy thing when you're fired from one network to go to another network and work your way back up from the ground, back up. And I had these two great anchor jobs. And then I had this kid. And I was assuming, you know, that once I got pregnant and had Catherine, that I'd hop right back into work. And it didn't dawn on me that I lived in California, that my anchor job Saturday was in New York, that my other anchor job was in Washington, that I'd have to shoot my stories during the week. And I was like, whoa, wait a minute, this isn't going to work. I can't do that. It's not humanly possible. It's not humanly possible. And when I went into the president of the news division, I said, well, could you at least move one of the anchor jobs to LA, which is the Saturday night? Nobody cares where the desk is. Mm -hmm. And he was like, no, I'm not going to do that. And by the way, I can fill this job in three seconds before you even get to the elevator, which of course he was right. Mm. And I remember saying, well, I can't do this. And he goes, okay, no problem. Bye. And I remember going like, oh, my God, I'm such a failure. I can't figure this out. I don't know, um, you know, who could, who can figure it out, who is an example. And I think that, you know, I think it just is such a, you know, disservice to other women when other women say, like, I got it all together. I don't know what's yeah. wrong with you. Yeah. And so I think it's, um, you know, and, and I meet women all the time who whisper that you know, I don't have it together, but I can't really say it. And I'm like, yeah, no, I don't have it together. I say it. And, you know, everything else is an illusion. So I think, you know, I had great decades. Um, You know, the last (laughs) decade, I find Mm -hmm. that, you know, I've struggled quite a bit. And uh, to find my way, to find uh, my identity again, to pick myself back up. Um, to mother kids in their 20s is very different than yeah. when they're 10 and 14. Yeah. So I think we're all kind of making it up. And um, I want my daughter, you talked about the interview I did with my daughter. Yes. I want my daughters to celebrate their femininity and their power. I don't think, you know, I kind of felt like I have to dress like a guy, act like a guy, work like a guy. And the femininity or your womanness kind of was a back burner issue, you know. Mm-hmm. Um I don't think that's the case anymore, but I think it, it will always be the case that people will struggle to, um, you know, provide, parent, partner, uh, caretake. You know, I think life is complicated and life is difficult and life is also great and life is sad. And that's what I try to convey in this book, um, that, you know, it's all of that and it, all in one day. It can happen all in one day and that that's life and and not to be scared of that and to know that that's kind of more normal than abnormal. I just want to kind of, you know, just repeat this
0: just to draw a line under it, that this thing you're saying that's so important, but we don't say this out loud, that, you know, we are so skilled and trained, all of us, to be presentational <laughs> um right. and and then, yeah. and we're good at present. like we are really we get this is what we get educated to do is present. and um and now there are all these platforms for presentation and and yet it's so true as a woman that a lot of you know there are women who look like they have it all, but the, you know if you get in close enough to any life, <laughs> yeah, you see you see this. um, but it is kind of debilitating this this presentational skill that we have and yeah, and I mean somebody it is like you. I, I remember hearing just actually, weren't you? I think you were at the beauty counter conference last week. Yeah, and, yeah, um, yeah. So I just happened to be talking to somebody who was there, and and uh, and and he said, you know, you you know, you were at this conference, which is which is about beauty, taking that on with some complexity, but that you were just really letting it all hang out there. You were just saying, look, you know, people can look at me and you can look at my pedigree and all the things I've done and all the things I have. And say she has it all, but nobody has it all. And you were just saying, you know, life is hard.
1: Well, I, uh, you know, what I thought, um, you know, she asked me, Greg Renfrew, who started yeah. Beauty Counter. And it's a, a it's a clean beauty yeah. uh, mission, right? And the, the women there um, are consultants, but they're also women who are not only trying to provide for their families, but they're also at their root they have a mission to kind of change the beauty industry so they go yeah. to Washington they lobby they they want to get a lot of what they view as you know cancer causing ingredients that's in our makeup that most people don't realize they want to get it out of there yeah makeup. so it is so, actually
0: it's a new it's a it's a new edge of of the beauty industry yeah so it's yeah. a beauty movement
1: yeah. but it's also a political yeah. movement in, yeah. in my view yeah. um so what i she was saying you know to me like well you have it you know i want you to talk from a place of you know Um, you're heroic to these women. You have it all together. Your (laughs) life is so this. And I'm like, yeah, I sleep alone. No, I I didn't balance it all so well because Mm -hmm. if I did, you know, I'd be sitting here with a 32-year marriage as opposed to having had a 25-year marriage. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't be, you know, sitting here alone. So I didn't, I don't, that's wrong to Mm -hmm. think that I have it all, you know, that it was perfect because it was messy and um, I think that, you know, so I try to debunk that myth because, uh, one, it's not true. And two, it's not really true or, or for very few people. It's true. In fact, I've never met anybody who, um, quote, has a perfect life, you yeah, know. Yeah. And no, so of I course think not. that it's uh, it's important to know that because then you don't experience so much shame when you're going through what you think is, you know, a disaster, or what is messy, you can more like, okay, other people have done this and they've gotten through it. So it's okay. As opposed to like, I'm the only, I'm the first person in the world to, you know, whose marriage fell apart or whose kid has trouble. Like I was talking to a friend yesterday uh, and I said to her, you know, how you doing by the way? And she was like, you know, my son has depression and, um, had to pull him out of school, and she has this huge job and all that sort of stuff. And she goes, mm. and I've been whispering about it, but I wanted you to know. And I said, you know, so many people I talk to whose kids have depression yeah, and anxiety. Right. And epidemic. she's like, oh, really? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so I think we're all in the, oh, really, phase. Mm. So I mm. think um, the more I can do uh, to use my voice about, um, you know, uh, this is a marathon. Uh, nobody's life is perfect. Uh, you're here for a reason. Um, If you're down, you will get up. Um, If you're down, there's so many people who've been in that place before. Don't feel shame or be ashamed by it. And, um, you know, we're all here. And I want to be with people, like I tried to say at that beauty counter thing. I want to spend my time with people who have a mission, Mm. who uh, feel they're here to do something uh, however small or big that is, because those are the people that interest me because I find them often you know very real and mm-hmm. they have a a mission that um, I can may, might not agree with, but i I like people who have that kind of fury and passion and purpose mm.
0: Mm, lovely in the you have a chapter in the in the in the new book um, the the book I've been thinking you have a chapter called the power of reevaluating and you just go through yeah. one kind of basic elemental life experience after the other. Um, I like you on the marriage part. You say, um, uh, and by the way, I'm I'm divorced as well. You said I always thought people whose marriages didn't work out were quitters. I was wrong. I do. I like it that you say this. I admire people yeah. who work in and at their marriages, but I also admire those who chart a new way forward. I really ma- admire those who manage to stay friends after yeah. their marriages are over and aren't afraid to love again after being hurt.
1: Yeah, so I think all of those things are hard. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Every part of that is hard. I think, you know, mm-hmm. uh, somebody said to me the other day, oh my God, Maria, marriage is hard. I said, yes, so it's being single. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it's all hard. Mm-hmm. And yet it's all simple. It's all complex. It's all, um, you know, there's benefits to everything. So I think uh, w- what I said there is is true. I admire people who... Are married thirty-five years, or married forty years, are married ten years, and who, you know, work at it. I admire people who say, you know what, this isn't right for me. I got to chart my own course because that's hard too. Yeah. I think, um, you know, charting your own course and then also managing to be respectful and friendly with someone uh, who may have hurt you or who you spent a long time with in one way, but you can navigate a new way. I think that's hard and admirable. And I think it's really, um, you know, hard and, or maybe beautiful to open your heart up and say, like, let me take another shot at this. Mm-hmm. And um, that's a beautiful thing, too. And I, I am always interested. I did a big book signing two days ago, and a woman came and said, you know, I have a blended family. And I stopped her. I said, how is that? What mm-hmm. is it like? Mm-hmm. How did you fall in love? Like, you know, I'm really interested mm-hmm. in um, I'm interested in love. I'm really interested in love. I'm interested in the definition of love, uh the you know what love does to somebody, how to love, how people define love. Um I'm I'm fascinated with that. Mm-hmm. And um and opening yourself up again to love um is, you know, really uh mm you know, a um, really courageous thing to do. And I think it's, to me, almost that's the thing that's way more scary to me than standing in front of talking to 20,000 people. I'm like, that's no problem for (laughs) me. You know, if somebody said, could you interview Donald Trump or go on a date? I'm like, give me Trump any day, you know? And so it's easy, you know, kind of. But I think putting yourself in a, you know, Such a vulnerable place um, and opening yourself up like that is just, you know, I think, wow. So I'm always, um, you know, I'm interested in the subject of love, the power of love and uh, the ability to love, you know.
0: And, you know, you are in an unusual position to speak about things like this and, and for it to be a comfort to people it for the same reason that it, that is probably that is really hard on you, because your marriage and divorce, like so much like you know your childhood that we were talking about, your your family, those 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 family, those those deaths in your childhood, um, this un, these things unfold in public. And right. I, I can't imagine that you would have chosen that. And yet uh, it does mean that when you say something like that, people feel. Like they know you and like they can trust you, I think. I don't know.
1: Well, the the thing is, in this book, which I'm very proud of, I never talked about that in a way. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, I think uh, I learned from my Aunt Jackie, actually. I think, um, I think privacy is really powerful. And I think um, respecting your own and somebody else's is really important. And so I... Um, I, in this book, I I didn't talk about no. um, my own situation, but I since my situation is public, uh, people feel like they know a lot of it, and I think people bring. What I've also discovered is that people, you know, would come up to me all the time and say, "Oh my God, you know, the same thing happened to me as happened to you," and I'd be like, "Oh, and t- tell me about your story," and it had nothing to do. Right, there was nothing right. that was similar at all. But I think we all. Um, you know, fall in love, fall out of love, feel, you know, all kinds of things that are similar, right? Mm-hmm. And so I think if you just talk about marriage, people assume you're talking about your own or otherwise. But I think you can, um, you know, it's important to me to, uh, as Maya Angelou said, say what I know, but not all that I know, or mm-hmm. say uh-huh. what happened, but yeah. not all that, I, that happened. Yeah. And so I think, um, you know, what's important to me is that my children... Um, you know, that I don't say anything about their dad that uh, influences their thinking, you know? And yeah. that uh, I look at my um, ride with Arnold as having been a great time in my life. And, uh, and um, you know, we had a great run. We did a lot of great things together. Um, and um, I came to California for him. That was a freeing thing for me. Um, Yeah, you did the the women's conference because you were first lady. I mean, that was an incredible. I did the women's conference, but I, you know, I I um, found somebody who was uh, ambitious in their own right Mm -hmm. and uh, accepted my ambition. Yeah. Um, You know, when women's empowerment wasn't front and center, so here was somebody who said to me, you know, like you have big dreams, go for them because mine are as big, if not bigger, than yours. (laughs) And uh, so you do your thing, and I'll do my thing. And as you know, I think. You know, for me, that was a, a, a relief. Yeah. That was um, so. I think you know, I got uh, four great kids. We were yeah. friends, yeah. and um, I've you know. So, yeah, I y- look at it that way. I I actually don't
0: like I, I don't like this language of ex husband. Like I never refer. I hate that right? word, right? Because yeah, oh, because here's it. the thing. He, he may I may have an ex husband, but the the eternal role that this person has in my life is the father of my children right so yeah like, and that is an ongoing relationship and it's your family and it's I your family think, you know, and it's these yeah. people you created together who you adore right
1: yeah and, and i think you yeah. know it's uh, somebody who knows you you know i was um in relationship with arnold for 34 years yeah. and uh, married 25 years you know Boyfriend, I was. We went out nine years before. Wow. that's family. Yeah, uh, that's very few people in my life. Do I have a forty-one year yeah, relationship right. with? Right, right. So, um, you know, I want to. You know, I want that to be okay, and I want my children. I want my children to see, um, you know, that I can navigate that. I want my children to have seen me take care of my mother. I want my children to see me. Um, you know, take care of my father and work to try to find a cure for Alzheimer's because that's what he had. I yeah, want my yeah. children to see me try to continue my mother's work in Special Olympics. I want them to see me uh, working to have a good relationship with my brothers and my sister in-laws and my niece and, 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 and to expand the definition of family and to expand the def- definition of who's welcomed at the table. And um, so those are things that are important to me that I work at and that I want my children to um, witness, not just hear. Because uh, I remember my daughter saying to me several years ago, you say that, but you don't do that. And I was like, huh, that's really – she's she calls <laughs> just, me out. My kids call a, me out oh, a yeah, lot. Oh, they, they, yeah. They, they tether us to reality. Yeah, and they humility. do. And <laughs> so, yeah, and so yeah. she was like, you know – which one are you? And I was like, you know, it's a really good point. They're watching what I do yeah. uh, much more than what I say. So yeah. um, I, wanna wa- I want them to watch me expand the definition of family. I want them to watch me become a caregiver. I want them to watch me let go. I want them to watch me forge ahead. I want them to watch me um, evolve. I want them to watch me make mistakes and say I'm sorry. I want them to watch all of that. So that when they make mistakes, when they fall down, that they know they can get back up, that they know uh, that the world's not going to kill them if they make a mistake or if they fail. I want them to know all that.
0: Hmm. Um, you you mentioned right when we first began to speak that, that faith has become more important to you as you've moved through life, more important again. Yeah. And and it's a big theme of your writing and of your new book and, and actually the prayer the, the chapters and these chapters end with small prayers. And, you mm-hmm. know, I'm curious because you move in very sophisticated circles and, um, and it's a different world from the one in which your parents, you know, could go to church every day and, and, and everyone around them, uh, or many people around them did that. And I mean, I, I wonder yeah. if people in your world, um, I, I, I just feel like you, you carry this so much out front and it's unusual. Um, for a person in your, in your, you know what I'm talking about in your in your in, no. in, in your industry in in entertainment in. Um, I don't think I'm in
1: entertainment. I've never thought of myself as being well, in entertainment. In, no, you're ever. not. You're not. I mean, like in
0: t- television news, the uh, journalism, um, uh, right. all these ways in which you have a very public profile. Um, I, there just aren't that many people who carry faith out front the way you do, and I just wonder if the, if if you if you bump into that with people being uncomfortable with it, or if no. this was a decision you made. No,
1: no, hmm. I don't, because I, um, I mean, I've never. It, no, I haven't. Mm-hmm. I mean, I also am interested in people of so many different kinds of faiths. I have, you know, my table last week had Muslims at it, a Baptist, a evangelical. Yeah myself I'm interested in atheists I'm I'm just interested in people so I'm interested um, so nobody says to me like or people will say to me like I don't believe in God or my God's not the same as your God or yeah cool um, you know that's how I that's how I manage <laughs> you know so I'm always interested in how do you manage but nobody um, I, I don't consider it like um, a problem or mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. to to Talk about my faith. Um, I find it, you know, wonderful, actually. Mm.
0: There was something, yeah. there's something really lovely you write about um, your grandmother, um, that she was a person of such tremendous faith that you were aware of that. And yeah, I
1: was fascinated with it because it seemed so like, where'd you get that? That would be Rose Kennedy, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And she, um, you know she i wish she were around today cuz i'd have so many other questions for her but mm. she seemed so um just certain in her faith unwavering in her faith and quite confused as to why i couldn't have her faith mm. you know she was it was so matter of fact to her and i was so like wow i was very aware that she was getting through a lot of really difficult things mm-hmm. in life And she was attributing her ability to do that to her faith. So I was very aware as a young girl, like, I got to get me some of that um, Mm because, you know, that that seems to be working for her. And uh, also from my mother. I mean, my mother's best friend on the planet was her brother, uh, President Kennedy. And I was very aware as a young child that when he was killed, um, like, wow. This was not going to be pretty in my house. Mm -hmm. Um, And I watched my mother, um, you know, with her faith, and I saw, like, she's getting through this, I think, because of that and because of her work, too. You know, I was aware of both. So I thought, like, those things and then watching my grandmother, those help people get through life. So how do you get that? There's (laughs) a story you tell that
0: you asked your grandmother about how you get that, and and she said— she said, "If you want
1: faith, you ask for it." Yeah, Is right? and it was that. Yeah, she's like, "You just ask God for it," and then looked at me like, "Duh," <laughs> and you know, kind of like I was just like, "What? No, duh. Here, I don't have that." Mm-hmm. And um, but I have asked actually God for it over the years, and I keep just saying like, you know, "Help me, give me some of that, give me some of that." I want to strengthen that. I want to strengthen that, and lo and behold, it's it's stronger. It's it's there. And um, but I I, every morning I have to say I pray and every evening I pray and um, I ask for guidance. I ask for direction. I ask for strength. And um, somehow I have it Mm -hmm. or you know, that doesn't mean like I don't have, you know, days where it like is wobbly or where I'm wondering like, holy, what the hell am I doing? Or this is hard. Or, you know, I had that when I came home from the beauty counter thing, you know, on Saturday, I came home, Saturday night, I'd landed, I'd just spoken this 5000 women, you know, (laughs) oh, my God, oh, my God. And I walked into an empty house. And I'm like, Mm. this sucks. Mm. You know, I'm like, wow, this is I don't like this, Mm. you know, and I was like, Okay, let's go tomorrow. Let's, you know. So I think it's, you know, uh, y- y- you know, y- we all need something, you know. And I, hmm. so I find that I, you know, I was like, wow, I need some help here. I need some help, and I go to the animal crackers and you know eat a, <laughs> a box of that, and I'm like, that doesn't help. And we we'll go to bed. <laughs> <clears throat> but you know, I think it's it's true. You know, people have. I think that's also, you know, big public lives. It looks like, wow, you're on the stage at Beauty Counter and everybody's like, this is fantastic. And then that person that you're idolizing and think has it all together goes home to an empty house. Yeah. And so... You know, and maybe those women who are like sitting there going, oh, my God, you know, Maria Shriver has it. They're going home to a husband and two kids. And so I want them to see like their thing (laughs) is great idolizing their lives. (laughs) Yeah. But it's it's like it's me saying, you know, also don't idolize (laughs) my life. Right. Your life is great. Yeah. And um, nobody's life is what it seems. So Mm -hmm. like focus on your life, focus Mm -hmm. on what makes you feel good, because that person who you're idolizing, you know, they may be going home to an empty house and an empty bed. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
0: I well just with just a couple more minutes. I um I am not sure if I have ever told you this story, which I meant to tell you and I and I may have told you, but I, it occurred to me when I was getting ready to interview you that I met a um of course you said your mother did they did she take communion every day? Yeah. Is that what yeah. So a couple of years ago, and maybe it was after I'd been at the women's conference and I was talking about what a phenomenal experience it was. I I was I was talking with a, an episcopal priest who is a woman. Uh-huh. And I cannot actually now remember who it was, but it was an episcopal priest a, a woman. She had presided at a a funeral of a of a public person. Your mother was there. I think it was a funeral and she came down for communion. I don't know if this makes sense if it was a funeral. Anyway, your mother took for communion from a, f- a female priest, and it was the first time she had done that. And she took communion and was weeping in, in, with a joy at this experience. Really? Yeah.
1: Wow. I don't think I ever saw my mother cry. <sighs> this this so priest that's...
0: told me that, you know, there <laughs> she was and that your mother was just like taking in this moment. Yeah. Of taking communion from a woman.
1: I think that that would have been, you know, big for her. Um, I think she, you know, whether it's uh, at every level, right, everywhere she turned, women weren't in the church, women weren't in politics, women uh, weren't out of the home. So I think... um, you know, she would have probably invited that woman over to dinner. Mm-hmm. You know, she would have been fascinated with that woman, just mm-hmm. as she was with Dorothy Day or Mother Teresa or any woman. Um, and but, I have to say, and I would say that she would be equally fascinated with that woman and the woman who was the mother of the special needs child. Okay, Mummy um, mm-hmm. was really, uh, you know, interested in both. And I think, um mm. as am I. Mm. And I think people, um, you know, often think like you know about me, like oh, like I remember you said just a few minutes ago you 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 operate in rarefied circles, I actually don't mm-hmm. and and I think that's always you know, all my friends or you know three single moms you know or or friends that I met in journalism. I don't really well, operate. also, you know, I mean, it's a stupid thing for me to
0: say because rarefied circles like people are just people, right. Everyone, right? right, I mean, this is one thing you know. If you live, if you, if you, if you meet a lot of famous people, accomplished people, you also just realize they're just human beings, and it stops. That that phrase "rarefied circles" in fact doesn't is nonsensical, isn't it?
1: And that was important to me. You know, with the Mm -hmm. women's conference that I did, it was really important to me that it be a conference. for uh, everyday people, yeah. I kept the tickets, you know, really cheap. Yeah. Um, I brought people in, you know, who didn't have to pay because I wanted um, my view of the world where people mingled, where Sa- Sandra Day O'Connor would sit next to, you know, a woman from a domestic violence shelter. That's the world I want to live in, mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. so that was the world I tried to create with the women's conference um, when I was first lady. And um, that's the world I inhabit. So, um, and and I want to inhabit. So, I want to speak to the women at beauty counter. I want to go to you know a book signing in you know a a neighborhood I've never been in. I want to interview people in Alzheimer's homes or people who are. I want to interview the best and the brightest in research. That's the world that I bounce around in. And. Mm -hmm. and and uh, that's the that kind of you know um, you know moving through all the different worlds is what my world is al- is about mm-hmm. and what I like and that's why journalism for me was so great because it took me out of right. my world right and yeah. uh, I had this longing to get out of my world. And uh, journalism gave me that, and it allowed me to meet people that I never would have met had a quote stayed in my world. Mm.
0: i I was gonna ask you a question about politics, and I actually don't think I will because I don't think it's as important as these things we've been talking about here. Um, I mean that you know, yeah, so i so let me ask you this um as we close um. As you you know, as you, what right now, as you look around the world and as you kind of inhabit your life, which you just described so beautifully, like what what makes you despair, and where are you finding hope?
1: Uh, that's really because um, I find them both hmm. in every in any given day. You know, <laughs> uh, really, actually, I find um, what what causes me despair is the loneliness uh, that I encounter with people you know as I go out on this book tour the the pain that so many people have and experience and how they feel like that they're so alone with that um, that that causes me um, I get it and um, but it there's something like I wish I could put my arms in this collective embrace of People. Um, Hmm. It's, Hmm. you know, I feel like, wow, there's just so much pain or struggle out there. And I don't think, you know, my brother said to me once, you know, I think it's the books you write that you, you know, you should write a book about sex or something that where people come up with fun stuff. You write about Alzheimer's and death and what he said. So everybody, I said, no, actually, I think that's just the world. Mm -hmm. And I think um, people feel. Uh, comfortable coming up and telling me their stories, um, which I really feel honored by. so that, but it it causes me despair that we, you know, that people feel so alone. What brings me hope are the same people that mm-hmm. I meet who are so energized about changing the world. Mm-hmm. I, I have so much hope uh, in humanity. I have so much hope that there's so many good people out there who don't get a lot of attention, who's voices perhaps don't rise up that but that are out there and whose stories are unbelievable and um, who are starting organizations jumping in to run for office trying to change gun laws trying to change you know workplace laws trying to help um, you know women of all economic backgrounds and that to me is so hopeful and exciting and inspiring and so I, I meet both on a given day mm-hmm Uh, Last night I spoke at my church and it was like five, six hundred people and a woman came up um, and she was like, you know, my 23 year old son died in a car accident a year ago and this is my first night out. And I was like, oh, my God. And she goes and I finally feel like I can get up and go out. And it was my only child. (laughs) And I, I just looked at her and I was like, I'm so sorry. She goes, it's okay. I've come to a place. I was like, well, no, it's not okay. And and it was just this like moment of like, I was like, oh my God, I don't know how that woman came here tonight. I don't know mm-hmm. how that woman is standing. And. You know, three women later is a woman who's like, can I come, you know, I want to work with you on your architects of change. I'm so excited about I'm young and I'm invited and I'm, you know, want to change the world. I want to, you know, pass a bill for caregivers in California. And I'm like, Mm -hmm. wow, Mm -hmm. you know, and so every other person has like a different story of Mm -hmm. one of despair and one of hope. And they're all in the same room. Mm -hmm. They were all in the same room last night and we're all in the same room. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Okay, well, you may have had a hard morning before you got to the studio, but this was phenomenal. This was such a beautiful oh, thank conversation. You. I just, it's really a gift, and I can't wait to put it on the air. And uh, Oh, well, thank you. You gave
1: me a line that I can take, uh, you know, raising up my eye. <laughs> I like that. Like I'm good. raising up my eye, yeah. and that's, uh, I'm uh, kind of standing at long last kind of firmly mm-hmm. in my eye. I wrote this thing the other, like two months ago and I started on my book tour, mm. Um, that I walked out onto the stage and it was the second night of my book tour and I looked up and I uh, the rafters were filled and everybody was holding my book and I thought I was in the wrong uh, auditorium. I looked and I had this kind of, That's the thought that came up. I'm like in the wrong stage. I walked into the wrong room. And then I looked around and I saw, oh my God, wait a minute, these people have my book. So I'm in the right place and oh my God. Mm. I'm. They came to hear me not i'm not you know i'm not here trying to get a vote from my father or my brother or my uncle or my cousin i'm not here you know campaigning for arnold i'm not here for nbc i'm here for me hmm. and you know it's the first moment i'm 62 and i'm like okay i deserve to stand on this stage i like <laughs> I got my eye on. (laughs) So um, I say that to people so they don't despair that sometimes it takes really long time to feel like you deserve to be on the stage. You deserve to be in the room. You, you have earned your eye. Mm.
0: Oh, Maria, thank you so much. Thanks for your, thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you for your eloquence and your courage and, uh, Yeah, I hope our paths will keep crossing.
1: I hope so, too. That would be fun. That would be great. We'll
0: let you know uh, when this is going out. I I think it's going to be this month or next. uh, Okay, wonderful. Blessings. Well, thank you. I look forward to it, and it was great. Thank you so much. All right,
1: bye-bye. Take care. Bye-bye.